Hi, and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to another episode of 9 to 42, uh, the podcast brought to you uh, by the guys from the Guitar Show UK. I am looking at Jason Hunt on screen. Morning, Jace. How are you? I'm very good, Ant. How are you feeling today? I am feeling fine. I'm feeling fine. I've been out for a run this morning, uh, which is always good. It was, and I like running in the rain, and it was a bit drizzly this morning. So it's been it don't, not June. I don't know what's gone with the temperatures, but anyway. <laughs> so I'm 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 really well actually. Um, don't ask me about anything to do with the government because I'm ranting about schools. But apart from that, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I could rant about schools as well, and um, I, I just I can't believe that as you know my BIM job, we were online and teaching within three days of lockdown, and both of my children's schools have yet to really start teaching online. And I'm like, that was 13 weeks ago. We did it in three days. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something in in the mix there. Is slightly in defence of the schools and and actually not in defence of the government. The how how was it that ten weeks ago the government couldn't work out that you can't social distance kids in a school unless you've got double or even triple the amount of rooms and triple the amount of teachers, because most classrooms are thirty thirty five kids, and the most you can get in a classroom now is about fifteen. And where are the extra classrooms and the extra staff coming from? And to your point about why aren't we doing more online, which I think we should, I think if we're not tasked schools with the impossible of trying to get everybody back before the summer term in an environment that's clearly not possible, maybe the management of the schools would have had a bit of time to spend on the other things they should have been doing, like <laughs> what you've been doing. But let's not go too far on that, <laughs> no, because no. otherwise we'll lose our audience in a in a moment but uh yes so i'm uh, i oh ooh, anyway um we've got another we've got another interview for you this week and we were speaking with and i'll let you do the introduction yes yeah, simon bartholomew from the brand new heavies and it's a while since we spoke to simon he was one of the first ones that we did in uh in lockdown wasn't he yeah it, it was um it was a bim thing sasha um who i work with is one of our lecturers um looks after uh, glenn uh, but also looks after simon as well in terms of um pr for them and uh, you know she she threw his name into the hat and i was like yeah that's fantastic because it's it's a very different um style of playing the guitar um you know it's, it's funky as opposed to punky um and i uh, you know i and, really like what you did there oh, thank that you very really much good. Um, and and he was a really nice bloke. I mean, we had a few technical issues at the time. He disappeared for about twenty minutes, and had to reset his computer and his router and everything. Um, but you know, he was a genuinely nice guy, and I really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, no, I I exactly the same. And and I have to say, they're not a band I knew an enormous amount about, and it wouldn't naturally be where I'd go to to listen uh, if I'm uh, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean it's 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 um it's not my uh music taste either but I, you know I did listen to um quite a bit on Spotify before we spoke to him and uh, realized that I did actually know quite a lot of the songs they're just you know they've been around for so long uh you know I think Simon talks about the fact that, that you know uh, for want of a better description they're a bit of a heritage act now and they can keep going doing these sort of like revival festivals and stuff like that 
which I think is, you know, it's great that, you know, you can have your initial success, but then have a, a long term career um, because your fan base will stay with you. No, I, I, well, it's it's proving to be the model, isn't it? It's proving mm. to be the model outside of uh, record company control. Um, it's so much easier to produce your own albums now. You don't need to sign a record company deal if you can if you can fund yourself through that first project. Um, then there's an argument to say that you can then fund everything else on the back of of the first bit of success you have and keep it spinning for quite a while. Um, so and and I don't think it's you know it's something that happened to a lot of the rock acts. There's a lot of rock acts kicking around that probably would have disappeared. And you think of the likes of you know a, a Thunder or a, a band like that that probably would have got dropped by a record company quite comfortably by now, but are just going. They're touring. They're producing albums because they've got a fan base they can engage with, and because people still want to see them live. And you know. And there's enough festivals, there's enough... And I know we're saying this at a point in time when we don't know where any of us will see a live gig again. But that model that became the accepted norm works you know, works quite well, really. And, and for bands like the Heavies as well, it's not just a preserve of rock. No, no, um, not at all. You know, I, mean, I, was, uh, I was talking to, uh, a couple of years ago, Miles from the Wonder Stuff. And, uh, you know, he... Uh, he The Wonder Stuff don't really exist. I don't think as a... a active band these days but you know they get back together and they do these festival kind of tours um and it's it's brilliant you know i mean it's i suppose as well if you if you think about it logically the audience you know that like the wonder stuff in the late 80s early 90s which is me um and i'm now 50 um i haven't got the time or the energy to go to gigs night after night anymore so you know but i it I do like to do like to go to gigs. So if they're doing like a you know reunion kind of tour, you know, couple of big dates and that's it, I'm quite happy to go to one of those. Well, plus, and we did this a few years ago. We went to one of these kind of open air picnic gig things where you rolled up with your, you know, with your picnic blanket and your and your, and your posh buffet. Um, and and we sat in a outdoor in a park, and there was an eighties night. So we and, and that was you know Human League headlined that, and that was Go West, and it was Belinda Carlisle, and it was Tapao. The less said about Tapao, the better. She really <laughs> really great on me. ABC were on there, you know, and and um, and you could see the same thing with a with a lineup that would include the Wonder Stuff. Yeah, yeah. On on, on a similar sort of night It'd with nineties, bands- wouldn't it? They, yeah, but, but you can see those kind of bands, and a lot of them are still going. I mean, um, I, you know, I know, I know um, the guys from Shed Seven a bit, and and they just come out of retirement every once in a while, and they might put an album out. But more often than not, they'll do a they'll do a festival season. Terrorvision are exactly exactly yeah. exactly the same thing, you know. And and actually, you can mothball it quite comfortably, keep 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 some kind of little bit of social presence going, and then just literally just pick it up. 18 months two years later if you can if you say right well this summer we'll go after you know the, the festival circuit and suddenly you'd line up six or eight festivals and think right well, i can drop another couple of gigs in yeah I mean, one of my fellow lecturers john he's the guitarist in sleeper and uh yeah you know they, they put out a new album last year they managed to do a small uk tour i think it was about 10 dates or something then everybody goes back to their day job yeah yeah no 
And and you know, a long way round of kind of introducing Simon, but there's definitely he he alludes to that being part of their setup and and, far, and part of their their future, I guess. And mm. and probably to be fair, you know, the one the, the conversation we had last week with Irwin, uh, the Hoosiers. I mean, that 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 will, I imagine the Hoosiers is, is 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 almost heading down exactly that path of few shows every every few years and, and maybe an album every four or five. Yeah. Right, well, without further ado, we'll, um, we'll open the floor to Simon Bartholomew, of the uh, founding member of the, of the brand new Heavies, and we'll, uh, we'll regroup and, and chat to you after that. So today, um, on um, 942 Podcast, we are talking to Simon Bartholomew, and Simon is a uh, founder member of uh, the brand new Heavies. That's right, isn't it, Simon? You were a founder member? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'd be the drummer from when I was five and the bass player from when I was about 12, so... Right, yeah, so absolutely at the beginning then. <laughs> yeah. And um, to be honest, um, and we're doing another one of our remote recordings, so this is kind of, uh, we're, we're all watching each other on TV screens. Um, and, you know, as we are still in, uh, in, in coronavirus lockdown uh, mode, uh, which is a crazy way to meet people for the first time, but we're, we're about getting used to it. Um, so Simon, I'm looking at somebody who looks like the archetypal rocker, and I'm going to have to ask the question. I you're, I didn't expect you to look like you look. So how does somebody who looks like you've just walked off a Guns N' Roses gig? How how are you playing an acid jazz funk thing? My whole life has been ruined by by acid jazz, and, and, <laughs> and um, Okay, it's it's partly a Corona haircut because all the, all the hairdressers are closed, yeah, um, yeah. and it's uh, I, I call it the Corona. It's it's it's, it's a new look. It's going to be catching on. It suits you, you know. It basically, you. Um, you know, my, my musical journey started uh, with a slightly different taste. Being a guitarist, I was my first love was actually rock and roll when I was about twelve. I really fell in love with rock and roll, and in, in it was uh, the seventies, you know, so you couldn't get much. So I only had a little bit. So there was a show called Cruising on Capital Radio, which is a new station on Friday nights, and they played rock and roll. And, you know, you'd record it on a cassette player and stuff, and then there was a shop called Rock On in Camden. Might still be there, a little record yeah, yeah. shop. And so I only had a few records, but I, I, I really loved... Um, I, you know, my dad had some some Lead Belly records, and Lead Belly was the guy that wrote the Rock Island line, which became, like, the, the, the anthem for Skiffle. Donnie Donegan did that, this sort yeah. of, like... So a lot of my influences are very much the same as like, you know, like Led Zeppelin and people like that, and 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 uh, the similar sort of stuff, the rock and roll and and the and the sort of early blues sort of thing. And um, yeah, so I was kind of copying that, you know, because I, I had a couple of lessons at school, and the first thing I learned was like a D, like a bit like this thing called love, you know. And it's like, and then I was like just mucking about on my own, learning like dun 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 dun. dun. And that's where I start. So through through my whole journey with the heavies, I'll kind of like, I'll bring this rock energy to the heavies. And uh, you know, I've, I've I've I'm actually just I've just sent off a solo album. I, I started 33 years ago, which is a shock. <laughs> 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 and it was supposed to be funky rock, because when the heavies first started, it was just jamming and just like doing grooves and playing for hours. And it was a great way to learn funk because I was more of a sort of big bar chord, bold sort of a a guy, and then I, I, I learned the more like Steve Cropper, like if you listen to a song called Green Onions, so oh, I yeah. literally, 
And I learned more about space and small chords and, and a, a smaller sort of approach to it all, which is kind of also just as heavy in a way, if you're feeling it as like a, a heavier, louder sound. Just like reggae can be pretty heavy, but it's not heavy like, mm. you know, like heavy rock, but it's still heavy. Um, so, you know, I, I, my solo album was kind of funky rock, kind of like a three-piece thing, you know, based on like the Cream, I suppose, and Hendrix. And who, who I, I, and that's the kind of stuff I, I do often go to, like Hendrix, for an afternoon's hoovering and tidying up around the house. When's the solo album out? Well, I sent it to this guy to mix it, but I, I think he's not taking me too seriously. He, he mixed the Heavies album. And he's also like a, a guy that, in his house, he's got a couple of chickens and he makes his own beer, which is important, I think, when you're choosing a mix engineer. Chickens and beer, mix engineer. And um, he, uh, he's he got like a poster of Hendrix and he likes Zeppelin and Deep Purple and stuff. And I, I did notice, like, um, with all these new laptops and computers and everything, there's a thing called the compressor, which I'm sure a lot of people know. And if you don't know it, it's something you can put on your mix afterwards or on a single instrument, and it can make things sound absolutely amazing. And when you take it off, they sound a bit dull, and it's a dangerous thing. And I, and I, and I, I like I want him to mix my album because I do still like and enjoy listening to long term for years and years the music before it's sort of over-compressed because it's easier on the ears. Somehow it's more like it's a keeper rather than the intensity you get with like this sort of sucking kind of thing with a lot of more intensity. So, yeah, I, cho I chose him to mix it and hopefully it will come out nice. But I don't know when it's going to be ready. To answer the question, I don't know when it's going to be finished because <laughs> it's up to him to mix it and then I've got to find someone to put it out. <laughs> are, you sing are you singing as well? I, I Yeah, I've always wanted to sing more and... Um, so this album, I've kind of been putting it off it, but I had this other band that I kind of started doing called Akimbo, and I, but I've always put off the singing and stuff because I'm a bit, like, shy about it. You know, it's a bit one of those things, like, putting yourself on the line, really. Being in a band, you're like, there's three or four of you, you're all kind of representing the sound. But with um, a solo thing, it's really you on the line, you know. And it's about time I, I, I did that at, at my age, 54 and three quarters. <laughs> you sound like the three quarters is very important to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it's at the beginning of your life, when you're like twelve, you want to be twelve and a half, don't you? Is it Adrian Mole? So you want to be fifty-five? You're desperate to be fifty-five, so you just I want to be sixty before I go completely grey. <laughs> okay. That's going to be cool. I think it's not so bad being older now because all this, you know, especially for like the heavies now. There's a lot of um, there's so many festivals now, and I think it's going to last forever. That you know, like the cycle of life. And having kids and stuff, you know, people, you know, the heavies had its heyday and everyone came to see the band and knew it as part of their college years. And now they're able to come out, bring their kids to the many, many festivals out there. And I think that will happen for generation after generation. You'll be going to see the bands you love now, you know, if you're like in your 20s or whatever, at festivals with your kids, you know, and I think that's a a good thing oh it's great i mean i took my uh i took my youngest daughter to uh go and see yeah. kiss last year and uh, she absolutely loved it really yeah. <laughs> that's excellent yeah and slightly the other way around i i went with my parents well with my mum and my wife's parents just on when he toured last time with the shadows to see cliff richard there we are there so that's the other thing in reverse and i have to say 
it was only Cliff and the Shadows playing. There was it wasn't a massive orchestra. It was just literally the five of them, and the Shadows were astonishing. They were so tight. I mean, I can tell you that I'm, I've I've just I've just tied up a bit, but I just um, one of the first albums I had was the Shadows' Twenty Golden Greats. Yeah, that was what I was learning those sort of those you know Apache and um, Contiki. Contiki, yeah, yeah, FBI. And there was one called Stingray. He must have detuned. It's really heavy. Down, down. It's like a real me too. That's it. Kind of the English doing America. I mean, Cliff Richard was the, the sort of English Elvis, wasn't he? And that's like. That's the English yeah. doing rock and roll. It's yeah. a bit tamer, a bit more, a bit whiter, if you like. <laughs> but was it good? I'm sure it's well, brilliant. From a guitarist point of view, he was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. But then so was Bruce Welsh playing rhythm. They were yeah, both that's right. So, so brilliant. good. But yeah, I grew up on the same thing. My, gra- my grandparents had that album. And every time we went over to their house, we'd listen to that album. You know, and uh, and and you forget. But But then Brian May will say that, Hank was his influence. You know, Mark Knopfler will say that Hank was his influence. So there's plenty of people around there who... Yeah, yeah. And and there's another guy, and he's called... Um, and I, I, f- I found his album in the street and I uh, recently, literally on the, on the street. And um, he was a similar sort of a guy that would do these sort of kind of tunes in the same way. Um, Burt Whedon. But he's a bit messier. But he was a big... I think he had the Burt Whedon songbook. So you, you could actually buy this book. And he was yeah. a big number for all the Jimmy Pages, and the, I guarantee that, yeah, yeah, you, 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 know, you know the score, but for people that don't, this is this. There wasn't much around. There wasn't radio like it is today. The radio didn't play what you wanted to hear, which is why Radio Caroline started and stuff. So that kind of era, where you know, I always had a longing for more rock and roll. I could, it, it was, it was just sort of, it was so golden when you heard a bit of rock and roll, and I even liked Shawadi Wadi. And when they came on on top of the pops, I would literally dance around the room because it's the only. You know, now you've got the internet, you can see the whole of recorded history in a, a, a push of a button. But, you know, you couldn't watch a film again. When you went to see the movies, you just, you were like glue because you couldn't go and see it again or watch a DVD again or a VHS again. or That was your lot. Jason and the Argonauts. Woo! Get about it. <laughs> Jason so, and the Argonauts. Which is uh, where my name comes from. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Is that true? J- is that true? Are you named after Jason the Argonaut? Yeah. So um, I, I, I was born in 1969. Um, I think it came out 68, 69. And um, actually, when I was at school, there were 12 boys in my maths class, and six of us were called Jason. Wow. <laughs> it was horrible. That's okay. <laughs> Didn't so, expect that today. <laughs> So I've never really liked the name. <laughs> it just felt really common. I used to love the film, though. Yeah, no, I think that, who, who does like their own name? I don't like my name that much. Simon James Bartholomew. I, I was always rather ashamed of it. It sounds quite posh, but uh, it certainly helps when you phone up the bank now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. So how do you go from rock and roll to funk? Well, um... We all, we all kind of. I went to like uh, middle school with Jan, and we both like rock and roll. Then at high school, and we were best friends actually. He's a drummer. Then at high school, him and Andrew were good friends, and they got really into like jazz funk and stuff, which I found at the time a bit like insipid and everything. But actually, it's incredible music. They were listening to like jazz fusion and sort of Latin rhythms, and there was these sort of like a big soul scene emerging, the northern soul scene emerging. And this is like early 70s, I suppose, like when I'm 10 in 75. And then, and, and I was, 
you know, into sort of uh, at high school, they were into that. And I was into like rock. I was into, you know, alternative stuff. I didn't, I was kind of off the mainstream. Um, and we'd have this thing with this like rock versus soul, you know, because they thought rock was just like, like a sort of doo-doo-doo-doo. But in fact, it was this amazing kind of like, I mean, we were getting into Billy Carbon and Gong and Hawkwind and it's sort of like, you know, far out stuff. Um, some of which the musicianship is, is you know, like beyond, you know, like incredible. And, um, but the, the, so we finished school and I went to art college and Andrew joined art college and we became really good mates at art college. So all three of us sort of took it in turns being mates just by default in some way. And, and we started going to this club because we were at art college and stuff and we went to this club called The Cat in the Hat. Um, and they were playing like really old sort of funk, James Brown and and stuff. And uh, we and we started we started jamming at school a bit, but like once a year. Um, and I've got the cassettes of that. I should really put them online. There's actually a record of that, and it's me sort of like playing louder and then playing like like quite complicated stuff. And uh, and I sort of <laughs> sort of playing this rock over the top. But you know, we we sort of. Uh, kept going at it and um, eventually we made a cassette because Jan's dad had this really good quality microphone and we took it to this club the cat and the hat and they played our cassette and people kept dancing because no one knew because all the records were like old rare groove records recorded in all different ways all different sounds so no one knew that the cassette was this and this tune was not it wasn't like popular music it was really unknown I mean it was called rare groove because these were really unknown tunes in fact if a DJ had a one copy of something and then they'll tell it, they'd put a piece of paper on it so no one could find that tune. So only they would have that tune. That's the kind of what was going on. Um, and so that's so I kind of got into the funk and I really changed my whole musical style, my whole headspace really into like, I mean, I've never been dancing before and there's a place called Dingwalls that Giles Peterson and Patrick Forge were DJing it and there's like, people jazz dancing, like literally holding a foot and jumping over it, running up the walls and stuff. And I was in the corner like a fish out of water, literally like, what am I doing here, you know? But I kind of just stayed with it and went with it because I, I don't know why. And uh, we eventually played at Dingwalls. We did the, we did like the chicken and stuff like that. Do you know that Jacko Pastorius tune? And so, you know, all these little, so I, I really changed my musical style, like I say, to a, a more rhythmic, simpler style with a clean sound. And um, yeah, there you go. Wow, wow, and 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 literally the rest is history, I guess to a certain extent. Well, unbelievable because this little club scene, um, the the cat in the hat. Then someone started up. A, a, there was all these record shops in Soho, and people started putting on their own nights. Um, and and then there was a place called the Wag Club, and that was like black market, Nicky Holloway. Who was like he had he had black market records and he had the club night and people started going to these things they were playing old you know old funk and new sort of hip hop and things like that and and there was a bit of a fashion scene coming with ID magazine was coming out Lee Bowery was this crazy sort of Google him just indescribable kind of mad gay used to wear like eight pairs of glasses like ID magazine he was about there was like. And then this warehouse party scene started before the house, before house music, really. Um, and we, 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 I went to London Bridge once and we actually 
played in this derelict building in London Bridge. And Andrew actually climbed up a lamppost and plugged in some wires into the lamppost to get electricity to power the DJ booth. There was no toilets with people pissing up the stairwells. <laughs> there was no lighting, just people dancing and moving. Like they'd, you know, and we played there. <laughs> Fucking crazy. It's now like fancy pants and they do like fish finger sandwiches for like 10 quid. But um, all these parties were starting and that really has set up the scene for like the rave scene, in fact. So there's this kind of sort of, there's this, there's a fashion with it as well, like old Levi's, you know, the guys that did the cat and the hat started the Duffer of St. George, you know, that Duffer logo thing. So yeah. like, and they were older than us. So we were kind of young in the scene, on the scene. And uh, yeah, and then like, you know, we started playing and then the Young Disciples made a record. There's a band called Push, fronted by a guy called Seal. And I remember sitting with Seal oh, in someone's yeah. party yeah. once. And Seal, I was like chatting to him and he said, oh, I'm doing this, uh, I'm working with this other guy now. And he put a cassette on, on on this, it was cassette, we were talking cassettes, it's like before CDs kind of thing. And uh, he put this cassette on and said, like electronic music. I was like, oh, what's that? So I'm saying it's, it was probably beats from Adamski because in, literally in the next few months he was, he had Killer came out, you know, with Adamski. And there was a lot of people out on the scene. Oh, it was really cool. It was a really groovy girls and boys in black and white. So it was a beautiful thing. Then acid jazz spread across the land. It was in Japan. It was like, it's like goatee beards and denim jackets. And it was like mod. It was like hippie a bit, a bit folk, a bit like, you know, like hip hop and stuff. Then we're in New York. And then we're playing on, on stage and then these rappers are in the house and they say, can we come up and get on stage with you? It's like Q-tip and amongst others. It's crazy. And then someone says, you should make a hip-hop album. So we do. And then later on, that ends up, one of the songs ends up on Happy Feet. I own a penguin with my name on the back of it from Happy Feet and it dances. <laughs> and my name's on the back of the box. I've made it. I, that's when I gave up. I finished then. <laughs> Anyway, there's a bit of a, a, a ambling story. No, no. <laughs> if you're in a band and, and you, or you like playing, I really recommend getting together with your mates. I think the only way to really learn is like not sit on your own and play too much, but get in a room with other people. And the, you get much better time and rhythm and start recording yourselves and write your own stuff from day one. Mm. As some top tips. They are, actually, yeah. So um, we we uh, one of the things we've been doing on these recordings, on these kind of... Um, lockdown recordings yeah is we've got five questions we've got a quick fire round all right um so we're gonna we're gonna put you through the quick the quick fire round which jace has to do because i've not got the questions written now <laughs> so uh first question is what one thing in your career are you most proud of well i, I think of sort of certain gigs that we did um and but then i think like to still be doing it and still gigging and stuff. It's like just just super brilliant. And I just I'm I'm so you know, when you're when you're in in your heyday, you don't like as many people will say, many people experience in all sorts of uh, walks of life, you don't really appreciate it and realise it what you're doing and what you're in and what you're experiencing. But now I'm I'm, I'm massively appreciative of uh getting to go and do what I love doing, you know. I just I love I love music. I, I listen to music all the time, and I I've got so much to I want to do, you know. Like it might look like we're some kind of heritage band, and to a certain extent, that's what 
happens. And thank goodness for that. <laughs> for, uh, I've got lots I want to do. Like I said, I'm working on a, the solo album I started 33,000 years ago. And, um, you know, Samuel Peeps wrote the lyrics and I wrote, <laughs> I wrote it all. I'm sort of like, <laughs> it's, my, it's my foray into, a, it was written with a quill in candlelight. In <laughs> no, it's, uh, so that I've got so much more I want to do. I've got, I've done other bands. I had a band called Akimbo. We did an album. Um, that's because when when the heavy started working, we, before we we were all just jamming and it was like fun and we're doing gigs, and then it all got a bit more like let's write songs to have success, and that's never really been my. I'm not knocking that, and I'm not knocking uh, like the success, um, whatever, however you quantify that. But um, you know, I, I started other bands because I just like jamming and playing just for the sake of it because that's uh, you know it's the it's the, the love of it should. It probably sounds like a cliche, but show it should come first rather than, you know, you get the feeling these days, if you start a band, it's to be successful. And I just, we're just like going around my friend's house, getting stoned and and, uh, and playing loud, you know. And that was, that was the, that was what it was about. With no, no, even with the heavies, when that started, no, I, I don't know about the other guys so much, but there was no real you know, thought of um, it becoming a thing, you know, it's more like a a hobby. In fact, when it became my professional thing, I was like, I've lost my hobby now. I thought robbed. Cool. So um, which three people, alive or, or dead, would you like to have dinner with? It's the come dine with me question. <laughs> it's a good one. I know, probably like three really good chefs because then you get some really good food. <laughs> <laughs> Assume the food will be fine. Assume the food will be fine. <laughs> Okay. Um, my sense of humour says like, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, who would be real fun to hang out with? You know, I think uh, when I was watching some, um, you know, like I do, I, I, I'm a big fan of Jimi Hendrix, so he's welcome at the table. And. Um, I was watching a, a something about Julian Schnabel, which led me to um, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. He can come. And then uh, we need uh, Marilyn Monroe in between relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. For a bit, you know, for a bit. I don't know why. I can't really imagine why I want to sit with Marilyn Monroe, actually. But I'll stick with it. Um, so which piece of gear... Do you wish you'd never sold? Um, <laughs> I actually swapped, and I didn't have an electric guitar for a while. And I bought this um, my first electric guitar. I bought from like this place called Exchange and Mart, where you could exchange stuff and and everything. You know, like this yeah, place. Yeah. Uh, and they had this guitar up on the wall. It was an, it was a K. K was this make of guitars that were really cheap and accessible. I don't know if you remember them, and they were, and it was an SG with a with a with a whammy bar with a big spring, and if you lifted the whammy bar up, the spring would fly out, like a spring. <laughs> and uh, and I and I saved up and I bought this guitar, and it was like, I've got this. Probably like you had to get a, a taxi to the fretboard with the strings because I can't imagine what it was like to play. But um, I swapped it for a briefcase music centre. I was convinced to do it by this older guy. I didn't really want to do it, but I was easily coerced. And I wish I hadn't done that because I didn't have a guitar for a bit. Um, 
Yeah, and also I sold my soul to. Um, I was at the crossroads one day, and uh, <laughs> you know, I sold my soul to the devil. <laughs> that would that would be the answer for uh, Robert Johnson. Would answer would be, I wish him, actually, if he hadn't sold his soul to the devil, he wouldn't be any good at guitar. Uh, yeah, go on. Uh, what's the best gig you've ever been to? Uh, well, you know, I, when I when I was younger in the eighties, I was sort of getting into like jazz, and well, the band was sort of not really taken off, I think, and I. Would, there's a big African scene. I'll go and see like the Mighty Sparrow and stuff and all these bands in kind of art centres and stuff like that. And um, we and we we would go, we went to this place, it was in uh, the Mary Magdalene Church in um, Great Portland Street. And there was this guy called John Stevens. He's sort of like skin-headed, like sort of ro- uh, brogue-shoed jazz drummer. And there's another guy called Tommy Chase. And these guys are playing fast and hard bop. And at the early acid jazz days, the jazz dancers were, were dancing to these guys. And um, I went there one time. We'd go regularly, me and my friends, and we'd just, like, drink beer. And we'd get kind of stoned. And we were very young, you know. And, uh, and one time we were there, and, and it was, like, hand-printed things and hardly anyone there. We went to see um, Courtney Pine, a very young, skinny, 23-year-old Courtney Pine. Um and literally, I didn't touch my drink. It was a jaw dropper. We, me and my two friends were right at the front. There was nobody there. And it was Mark Montezier on drums. He's just like phenomenal. Um, Julian Joseph on piano. These are like jazz legends, London jazz legends now. And he could do circular breathing. And which is when you just, you know, like, like playing a didgeridoo. Google it. And it was like seeing Coltrane, you know, two feet away from you. Just like, they were just blowing so hard. It blew my brains out. I, thought, I went home, I did this drawing of all these notes and this music shapes coming out. Hopefully I'll find it somewhere. So, but that was really mind-blowing, really mind-blowing. Cool. And, and, and the last question, the last question is, what's the first thing you're going to do post-lockdown? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to have a drink, but I think um, that's not stopped, really. I'm not drinking now. <laughs> it's not one o'clock here. Um, <laughs> I think, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to sort of getting back to work, really. Um, I mean, my, my life is, isn't completely affected, like, my nine-to-five job. So, like, you know, I work at home and stuff. But I guess just getting out and walking down the road and going to the a, a bar, you know, and having a beer in a bar and being around people, simple, simple as that, um, without worrying about it and forgetting to worry about it, hopefully. I think it's kind of the same for everybody. And, you know, playing a game. I know everyone's suffering on that one, so I wish you all luck on that one because it's, it's getting scary. There's a time limit on how long I can last. <sighs> but, yeah, what about yourself? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go to the pub. That's the first thing I'm going to do. I just want, I just want to. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I you know, I, there's, there's a lot of real plus sides to this lockdown if you try and look at it positively. I, my my teenage daughters hang out with us more now than they did previously, um, which is brilliant as a dad. Got my kids back, sort of thing. Um, 
<clears throat> and we've been able to do so many of these podcasts because nobody's got anywhere else to be <laughs> you know um so that's a like a real plus side but uh, you know but i do kind of miss you know i miss hanging out with my mates i miss you know just going to the pub and talking rubbish all evening yeah i actually miss my friends i've got feelings i'm a human but i do actually miss people <clears throat> yeah i miss them i uh i'm i there's a, there's a great little coffee shop in the village where i live um and they make a fantastic flat white, and I'm missing somebody making me a decent flat white because I, can't, I don't yeah. have the facility to make a flat white at home, and uh, I'm just missing somebody putting a really great cup of coffee in front of me. And there's nothing wrong with the coffee I'm drinking, and the, the, the you know filter coffee I'm drinking is fine, the cafe is fine, but somebody making me a really great flat white, uh, I didn't realise how much I was gonna I was gonna miss that. Um, what is amazing is how many things that you filled your day with that you now think, why was I doing that? I'm not missing retail at all. I'm not missing running around just doing some kind of, a lot of the stuff that I used to do. But yeah, a, a stop and a decent flat white. And the other thing for me, I'm a Sheffield United supporter, so I'm really missing going to the football, but that's going to be a long way off, so I'm not getting excited about that. Um, because... Um, you know, I think we've all changed our opinion now on whether we want to be in crowded spaces. Even after all this stops, I'm, I don't know if I'm suddenly going to want to be back where where, I, where we were again. So I think that'll take a while. So I think football's off the agenda for a little while, but I am missing that. And, as, and, and the thing is, for me, being a Sheffield United supporter, which means that for most of my life, I've been watching them in the lower leagues playing teams like Rochdale and, you know, Gillingham. Um, it's the it's the friends that you make because in reality, it, most of the time, it's really depressing. Um, so you end up with a great bunch of mates at the football when it's so depressing. When there's when there's no glory, you end up with a tight bunch of of cynical of cynical friends. And I'm missing the I'm missing the guys at the football. I must admit. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It is what it is. So Simon, um, that's been absolutely illuminating, and not actually the way I thought it was. Was I'm I'm really sorry for 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 kind of not knowing what this would work out about because uh, uh you know I didn't know an enormous amount about you beforehand but that's been absolutely uh, it's been fascinating to listen to you you kind of uh, ramble through the 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 heavy's history and and also the history of I guess you know you and and the area that you grew up in and I understand we'll be we'll be seeing you at the at the show next year. Assuming that everything's okay and we're back to normal, you're going to be doing the show. I understand. Have another chat if, if this lasts. You know, I'm, I'm happy to have another chat. It's, it's kind of really nice doing this sort of thing and uh, something I want to get into anyway and, and do some more uh, like do sort of my own thing really and become a bit independent of the heavies. Although I love doing the heavies, it's fantastic. But do some stuff that is a bit ugly. I, I heard recently that you know easy listening music is. Um, it's really popular. It's selling re- in large amounts. So I, I really, uh, that's that's red rag to me. I need to make something ugly. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> You'll fit right in at the guitar show then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> Listen, it's been a pleasure. Great to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. And we're back. And that was Simon Bartholomew of the brand new heavies. And what a really nice chat we had with with simon it's um as i say having not known much about the band um it was interesting to hear 
because you know things like the fashions and the kind of nights they were going to and the kind of scene that he was involved in yeah i think it's um, really interesting doesn't chime with what i my you know mine was more of a rock background but i can it's nice to hear it about a different style of music but he did you know i mean i thought it was interesting that he'd started uh, uh you know with the rock thing yeah uh, and the the hendrix and blues and stuff like that and ended up um and which is just good. it's testament to the you know being open-minded and hanging out with your friends who've got different tastes to you and uh, discovering something new. Well, the other thing was, when we turned the cameras on for the first time, and Barris said, I didn't really even know what Simon looked like until until the... So I'd read a bit, <laughs> but I'd not seen a picture of him. And he, and, he, and he pops on screen with this big mane of hair, and he looked like... Um, and, I, and I've forgotten the name of the guy. He looked like the lead singer out of uh, Spinal Tap. David St. Hubbins, yeah. And to be fair, you could see him. In fact, now I'm thinking about it. I could see if, if Simon had introduced himself as David St. Hubbins, I would have, I would have gone with that. Yeah, to be fair to him, he did say he's got a lockdown haircut going on. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was that kind of little spinal tap moment when it first camera came on. It was like, oh dear, um, you know, uh, you expected him to talk about taking a load of his songs and doing them orchestrally or what have you. Um, and, and recording a solo album that's taken 30 years so far. <laughs> well, yeah, just, which is very Spinal Tap, actually. Just get on with it. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, when's the mix going to come back? Oh, I don't know. 2035. Um, but um, but no, yeah, it, really, really, really love the chat and really uh, nice. Particularly when he spoke about his guitar as well and then he was without a guitar for a little while and then he bought a guitar that you could you could drive to the fretboard and, you know... Just, uh, yeah, great, great, great chat, great chat. So um, what have we got lined up for next week? Uh, so next week we have Adrian Thorpe of Thorpe FX. Uh, I've known Adrian for uh, four or five years now. He's been exhibiting at the guitar show. And, uh, you know, he was. it's probably the first builder, uh, Brit builder, for want of a better description, that we're going to go after. Um, but his backstory is so interesting. You know, you don't get many bomb disposal experts um, moving into the music industry uh, and building what, you know, quite clearly are bomb-proof pedals. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was... And I knew very little about Adrian, and it was really... um, It was a really great chat, and I I learned a lot that night. But it also goes to... when, When we started doing this, it wasn't... We never really thought it would all be about artists, did we? It's just kind of ended up in that space because of what was available to us through lockdown. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I mean, we've got a list of, of of other people that we've kind of spoken to about doing this, and um, one of the easiest things about uh, doing the stuff with the artists is they're generally pretty good at recording their own audio, um, and I don't think that some of the, um, the 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 builders in the UK are so au fait with recording software and, and so on. So you know, and it'll be it'll be nice to go and see them in person. And you know, hopefully, as we kind of seem to be coming out of lockdown a little bit, that very soon we'll be able to go out. You know, I was talking to uh, to Pete Brian Mays Tech, and uh, he's he's he'd love to do uh, a podcast interview with us, but he just doesn't get recording software. So it's okay. Well, we'll you know. Uh, as soon as we can, uh, we'll jump in the car and we'll go down and see him. Yeah, and that was to say that was always the 
that was when we talked about it that was always part of the plan um so it'd be nice to not nice because there's been nothing wrong with any of the interviews we've done and there's been some really interesting and really warm uh, stuff that's come out of them but to mix it up a little bit in terms of who we do go and speak to the other thing actually we need to talk about because it's gone a little bit quiet on that front we haven't mentioned keith scott for quite a while well we haven't mentioned keith scott for quite a while um now we've hit the uh, the magic 10 podcasts so it looks like we're here to stay um yes i will start following up the leads that i've got to get to keith scott right right so hopefully we can bring you some more information on keith scott a bit a bit down the line though i've I, i've i don't know whether i've collectively heard the nation sigh when you said we're here to stay <laughs> but we'll uh we'll <laughs> well we well you've made so much effort on your office stroke home studio that we're going to have to keep on doing this because it, it's a thing of beauty now looking behind you i know I, i'm really pleased with this um it's a really nice space to sit in now yeah so you know lockdown's not been all bad um no. i've got a lovely little home office now well, I think on that genuinely happy moment, we ought to leave it for this week. And uh, and we'll be back next week with uh, with Adrian Thorpe. Um, and, uh, and other than that, just take care of yourselves out there. And, and obviously, if you get a chance to like us and all those kind of things and subscribe and all the other things, we haven't mentioned it for a little while, but please do those things. That's, that's great. And you can find us. Uh, all the socials are The Guitar Show. Socials, aren't they, Jess? Yeah, so it's uh, uh, facebook.com slash the guitar show UK. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are at the guitar show UK. Perfect. Right, I will see you next week, my friend. Um, take care of yourself. All right, mate. See you then. All right, bye bye. Cheers, bye. Coming next time on 9 to 42. The first pedals we launched were the Gunshot, then it was the Peacekeeper, I think, and the, and the Muffroom Cloud. And it was the Muffroom Cloud that we started to get some traction in the USA. So we started to send our pedals for review uh, with Premier Guitar, which is one of the biggest um, magazines in the US, in, in the world, in the US. Online presence is huge. Uh, so we sent one off. Um, it blew them away. They called it the Rolls Royce of Big Muffs. And literally within, it was 11 hours, I counted. <laughs> I like, I've got a cease and desist on my, in my email. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production.